Thank you, Mike. It's always good to be here. And um, before I do anything, I have to show you the most appreciative gift receiver grandchild ever. And uh, for some reason, when we dropped this little short video on the computer back there, it went sideways. And try as we might, it's still sideways. But it's, it's uh, greatly verbal as well as visual. So when you're watching it, just go like this. And, and you'll sort of get it. Okay, this is my grandson, Jude, Julie's son. It's for me, Archie. Is that Radio remote control? controlled? Yes! Look, 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 look. <laughs> this is the best thing ever. Uh, I always wanted this in my phone. Is this mine? Is this mine, Dad? Oh, my gosh. I'm going to open it. No, no, no. This is the best thing ever. I've always wanted it my whole life. Thinking your whole life ain't too long, kid, but. So, um, good morning. I trust you all had a good Christmas. And uh, when I was sitting over there, it sounded a little fuzzy on the speaker. Is that just my imagination? or Do I sound fuzzy this morning? I'll try to speak straight and sharp. I look fuzzy. I always look fuzzy. Frosty is what my wife says. So uh, it's a little weird, again, being behind a pulpit. Um, life takes you in funny directions, doesn't it? Lots of times where you didn't expect you'd end up, you end up. Yeah, anybody happen to you? You kind of had a certain idea where your life was going, how it was all going to fall into place, and then there are chapters you never thought would be, and they come into play, and you find yourself in places you never thought you'd be, or in situations, and suddenly everything's different, right? Okay, well, uh, I was preparing to preach here, and uh, Mike uh, told me what, what the theme for he and Matt is in the new year, so I was trying to work with that, and uh, I got all into this theological thing. And uh, was expounding this certain thing, but it just wasn't working for me. And, uh, and not only that, I might have gotten into trouble because it could have been a little bit heretical. So, so I, uh, I went for a walk on the beach, and, and I felt like God gave me an adjustment and said, Look, you know, you're not much of a sermonizer these days. You're more of a storyteller. So you're getting a story this morning. I'll try to make some spiritual application, okay? Let me set the scene. Um, first, first is to tell you where we were. This is Liza and I on the coast of British Columbia. This is the itineraries that we do on porpoise, and we take people in those places. You can see Vancouver Island, and the far north itineraries are up in the central coast by Bella Bella. Port, you'll find out where the porpoise is. Um, so that's where we were, the top one, way up there. Okay, next one. Here we were. That's Porpoise. That's our ship. That's me yacht. And uh, Liza and I take people from all over the world on that boat for a week at a time, squire them around the coast, and it's great fun. 
that is the thing I pretty much thought would never have suspected that I'd be doing in the latter chapters of my life. I pastored here for 35 years, pretty well thought I was a lifer. You know, like my old Catholic priest friend said, the bishop comes and says, we were talking about retirement, and he says, well, Catholic priests, we don't retire. The bishop comes and says, are you still breathing, Father? (laughs) Yes, carry on. Uh, I pretty well thought I was, you know, going to be here at one church for 35 years, and they'd probably carry me out, or Jesus had come. But uh, then this other chapter happened, and this is kind of what it's all about. Next uh, slide shows you the kind of poor scenery I have to look at up and down the coast. And uh, those happen often. And often, Lies and I are sitting on the bow in various stages along the coast. Sounds pretty idyllic, doesn't it? Well, it is. (laughs) Eat your hearts out. (laughs) Pretty cool. I'm so grateful to God that he lets me do this, and I'm just having all kinds of fun with it. Um, But, okay, so turn that off for a while. (laughs) Like I said, life changes. So here we were, we came into a place called Pruth Bay, which is up by where that top red dot was. And uh, Pruth Bay is a very interesting place, and the anchoring place is shaped kind of like a clover leaf. So you come down this long channel, and the normal place, people go in to the top of the clover leaf and anchor in there. Other side of this narrow isthmus is just open ocean. It's a really cool place, has a o- open... Uh, ocean, sandy beach you can walk to. Well, we came in, and there were way too many boats up front. So we saw this little side clover leaf. Nobody was in it. So we thought, well, let's go anchor over there. We'll have it to ourselves. So we did. And uh, put down the anchor. We're sitting there. Just a lovely late July summer day. The sun was setting like you saw there. And uh, We're sitting, we have some lawn chairs we put right in the bow, put our feet up. Uh, Our favorite cat, who is getting older now, I think maybe his last summer was last summer, was sitting by our side. And uh, we were enjoying the sun, having a cool drink, and uh, eating chips. And my wife turns to me and says, you know, I think this is the best, loveliest evening we've had all summer, or that I can remember in a long time. And I nodded and said, this is just so awesome, Uh, placid, beautiful, wonderful. Evening went on, we had dinner, the sun went down, we went to bed. You know where this is going, don't you? (laughs) About 11.30 at night, uh, suddenly, woken out of a rude, or rudely awoken out of a peaceful sleep, Uh, and I don't wake up real well, to the sound of wind just whistling through the rigging, flapping, a bucket rolling across the deck. And, you know, when when you're in a boat and you're used to this, it's it's just this fearful sound and uh, this roaring outside. And you leap out of bed, scrambled up to the back to see what's going on. And it's pitch dark. And all bedlam is breaking loose. (laughs) The cat, 
ran up beside me. I saw this sort of beige blur go past me, stopped in the companionway, looked both ways and went, geez, dad, what are we going to do? And he boogied off up to the front somewhere and hid under something. It was really funny. He was sitting there with his paws just like, you know, I don't know why I could remember that in the midst of this, but I did. The cat really, you know, imprinted his expression upon me. And from then on, and uh, we, we were in crisis mode. Uh, the wind was blowing some, somewhere, somehow, out of nowhere, came a 40-knot wind. There were white caps in this little bay, and we were... Uh, trying to see, couldn't see the shore, didn't know where we were, and I went up and looked in the GPS, and we were moving, and I could feel it. We're dragging anchor. Now, uh, this was not a good place to drag anchor in because on the other end, the way the wind was blowing was these islands and these rocks in this shallow place. And I knew Isa's up there with me and we're both half-dressed and I'm yelling at her what to do and she's yelling at me back because she doesn't know what I'm trying to tell her. And uh, I knew from past... This isn't the first time this has happened. <laughs> I knew from past experience that I had to get my bow into the wind. But I also knew that on a boat like that, it's really hard to control the bow and the wind catches it so... Sometimes it's better to put your stern, that's the back of the boat, into the wind to let the bow fall away and reverse your way out of it. So after trying to get it under control, I finally let the bow go and I put it in reverse and I'm sitting there rumbling in reverse. I don't know where we are. I don't know how close shore is going, but I suddenly look at the GPS and there's the depth finder and it's gone from 50 feet to 40 feet and I'm looking at it, it's at 25 and uh, I've got it rumbling in reverse. Now, the, the complicating factor is the anchor is dragging, but it's still down. So I can't just motor off away into the blackness where I don't know where I'm going because there's a risk I'm going to run over my own anchor chain. So we turn this way, we turn that way. Uh, let me give you a little visual. This, this I took a snapshot of after the fact. Okay, now, if you don't know about GPS charting, it shows your boat on a chart. Okay, so this little uh, bay there was where we turned aside and we anchored in there. The other guys were down further in the center. And the dotted line is our journey. <laughs> so we turned out of the channel into this bay, anchored up at the front there, and all that squiggly around and about stuff is what happened at 11.30 at night, 12 o'clock at night. And we finally got this spotlight out. <laughs> we were shining around. Suddenly you see the shore coming closer. No, we don't want to go that way. And, uh, I mean, it was just horrible. And uh, finally, finally, I got the bow back into the wind. And you see where the line goes into the blue? Well, blue means... 10 feet or so. Green means, it even says 4.3 there. And yellow means land. The porpoise is, draws six feet. So I'm six feet in the water anyway. And suddenly, as I got the bow into the wind, the depth alarm goes off. Beep, beep, beep. I look down, we're in 10 feet of water. 
I, I say to Liza, grab the wheel. I got to get that anchor up so we can get out of here. So she grabs the wheel, and she, she's quite a woman. I mean, she's a skipper as well as my helpmate. And so she's at the wheel, but she hates these kind of situations, just so you know. And I don't love them. So I run up, and I start trying to bring the anchor in. I turn on the winch. I'm pulling in chain, and uh, all of a sudden, the chain goes, and it's like, it won't move. Oh, great. I've just been dragging across the whole bay, but now the anchor's stuck. So I'm 10 feet, in 10 feet of water. I'm off the shore. My bow's this way. My anchor is stuck, and I can't get it in. So I'm stuck between a stuck anchor, which must have dragged into some rocks and got stuck, and the, uh, the shore. Well, yes, I was praying, but uh, I was a little bit on the run, so to speak. In the midst of this, it all of a sudden hits me. We've got a, a, a dory behind, an inflatable, and it has a rope. And, and now I'm afraid if the rope's going to get caught in the prop. So I yell at Liza, pull in the dinghy rope. So she pulls it in. She's got about 15 feet of rope in her hand. And it's right up snug to the stern. And then I try to get the anchor up again. This is all happening in seconds, minutes. But... I wasn't sure what was going to happen, so I untied the rope of the dinghy, handed Liza the rope, said, hold the dinghy. Well, after a few more crises, I said, let go of the rope and grab the wheel. She lets go of the rope and grabs the wheel. Well, it wasn't until later, after this was all over, that she didn't realize that I'd untied it. So when it was all over, I said, where's the dinghy? You told me to let it go. No, I didn't mean let it let it go. I meant just let go of the rope so we could go forward. Well, the dinghy is gone. Into the darkness somewhere. Uh, okay, so without prolonging this too long, uh, at one point I was in six feet of water. You can see that last little turn there in the blue. I, I just threw up a prayer to God and I said, we got to get out of here, put it in forward, and just brought the bow around into the wind, and I was just waiting for crunch. I was just waiting for our whole life to be shipwrecked. Um, and it never came. And I was just shocked. And somehow I got it turned around, motored back into the bay, dragging the anchor the whole way, and, and finally limped our way out back into the channel, tried to put the anchor down again, and then we dragged anchor into there. Meanwhile, this wind blew this whole time. And finally, we, we took the boat down and anchored it in the head of the bay and got through this crisis. Oh. <laughs> now, why did I bother to tell you that whole story? I'm glad you asked. Of course, there's got to be some point to it, right? Uh, well... You know, I could say watch where you anchor or watch your weather and all those prudent things that a sailor does. But this literally came out of nowhere. No weather report of this kind. It was just a, a local cell in a cloud. There was a little bit of thunder and lightning in the area, and it just, it just came. It just came. It just took, knocked us off our pins. We were traumatized. Uh, you know, my wife looked at me the next morning and said, 
I can't do this anymore. <laughs> uh, we're not doing this anymore. We're, we're not coming up north. She was talking pretty extreme things, you know, like we're getting too old and everything, and I'm sort of feeling it, but at the same time not going to exactly verbalize it like that. And, you know, we'll get over this, and this is okay. But it was like, I'm done. I'm done. Um, and so, and, and, but I had to admit that I was shaken. I was shaken that night. I was shaken as I put the anchor down. I didn't know where the dinghy was. We're going to bed. Maybe it's in China by now, but we're going to bed. And um, I guess I have to say that uh, sometimes it happens like that. Has anything like that happened to any of you? Not in a boat, I'm sure. But there's some lessons in this, okay? First lesson is this. Don't ever rest fully in your securities in this life. I mean, I don't care how secure you are. uh, The wind can blow. Uh, The storms can come. Sometimes when you least expect it. Now, people, we live in a bubble in North America here. I, and because of that, the, you know, the side effect of that is we like our security. How many people like your security? I don't know about you, but I, I don't want things like that to happen. I don't want anybody to die. I don't want to go broke. I don't want to have problems. I don't want to be diagnosed with some disease, Right? Like, white picket fence, give me a secure house, a steady paycheck, and just don't give me any trouble. Life? And we all want that, right? Now, here, a lot of us get that pretty well. I mean, comparatively. Am I right? Do you, do you watch the news every night? I tell you, just watching the news traumatizes me. Uh, all the things that can happen. And I'm glad I'm just watching it. But, you know, a tornado goes through Missouri. And you see some little town that was a quiet little hamlet somewhere. And the cameras come in afterwards and trees are thrown this way and that. And houses are obliterated. And refrigerators are across the road. And cars are upside down. And it's just like, whoa, whoa. What if I lived in that little town? Or you watch a tsunami come in at some part of the world. And the devastation it wreaks. Or somebody's in an airplane going on vacation and it crashes. Uh, or, 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 or I don't have to list them all, do I? But the fact of the matter is, folks, we are not insured against bad things happening. So don't get too comfortable here. And we have a temptation to do that where we live. Um, Get armed with the fact that life is not secure. That your securities can be shaken in six to ten dozen ways or another. It says in Thessalonians, For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. I don't particularly like that verse. And I think it's mostly for the unbelievers, right? We are, we are not destined for wrath and, and all of that, right? 
Now, there's some truth to that. God protects us. But people, do Christians ever get it in the neck? Do you know any? Come on. Let's be realistic. For hundreds and hundreds of years, Christians have been persecuted. Christians have had accidents. You know, in Lisbon in 1700, they were all sitting peacefully in their Catholic church in Portugal. In the Sunday service, and an earthquake hit. And the building fell on most of the congregation. And those that were didn't perish in the building ran out into the street, and then a tsunami came in and wiped them out. Now, do you think they were all non-believer Catholics or something? You don't think they were people who were, were God's people? Of course they were. Why did it happen? You know, there were people all over Europe that said, God is God. Why did he let that happen? Could there be a more obvious incident where God didn't protect his people? Hello, have you ever said that? Have you ever felt that? Now, I'm not trying to scare you this morning or take, a, take away your security because God's eyes are upon the righteous. I'm just saying, be realistic. You live in a world that's dangerous. And Christians don't get exempted from all the trouble. Um, you know, Jesus said, in the world, you will have trouble. Secondly, get yourself a good anchor. I said, darling, now, we know our anchor ain't too great. Yeah, she said, well, it, it needs to change. It's expensive to get a new anchor. I don't care. If you want me to be on this boat, we need an anchor that works. So let me show you. There's the old one. Now, there's a scripture that goes with this. It says, which uh, Pastor Mike actually brought this into a message the other day. He said, which hope we have is an anchor to the soul. Both sure and steadfast and that enters within the veil. So, Anchor is hope. How does your hope look this morning? Does it look a little bit like that? <laughs> My hope has undergone a lot of wear and tear. That anchor had been on that boat for about 40 years. And you can see the pin that's supposed to hold that top shank on. is war That's supposed to be flush. And probably it was a matter of time before the top pin would actually break off and I'd be dangling chain off on some channel somewhere. I ask you this morning, how's your hope doing? Is it worn out like this? Is it any good? Does it hold ground for you? Well, there's only one hope to lay hold of, but it's your perception of it, your laying hold of it, that makes it an old beat-up one, or one that's fresh and new and strong. Don't let your hope... Get old and worn. What you need is what I went and bought for almost 1500 bucks. Go ahead. Show it. Drum roll. Next slide. Whoa. That puppy is made in Australia. I call it the badass anchor. 
I saw some of you kind of shrug there. I'm talking about the donkey kind of ass, okay? <laughs> and actually, it's a scriptural term. Named it Rex. You know why? Because it's a Tyrannosaurus Rex. It's built in Australia. It's the meanest, stickiest, heaviest sucker of an anchor you'll ever meet. It's got to be 20 pounds heavier than the other one. You can see how the front nose just kind of bends down like... And I have a habit sometimes of coming into harbors, kind of coasting in. I'll throw the anchor down and just let the momentum of the boat pull the anchor tight so I set it. Well, I, I was a little bit used to in the old anchor it going bumpity, bumpity, bump, and then find, is it sticking? Well, I'm not sure. This anchor, coming in, drop the anchor. Yeah, it sticks. We have a hope as an anchor to the soul. People, this life has a beginning. It has an end. It's only this big. And I understand Matt and Pastor Mike are going to be preaching on God is greater. God is greater. I'm sure they'll have all kinds of things that God is greater than. But I want to tell you that the world is greater. The universe is greater. You're just here for a short time. Don't build your securities here. Don't have your hope here. It's bound to get disappointed. Your hope is in heaven. Scripture says it really clear. Now, when people were persecuted and suffering and hungry, and some of those Hebrews guys, they wandered around destitute in sheepskin hiding in caves because they were holding on to their faith. They didn't sit around and hope for a new house, a better car, that nothing bad would happen to me and my children because they knew, I don't have hope here. We have hope here. I, I admit, I have hope here. I don't want any trouble. I like my life. I like a government pension. This stuff's great. It's cool. I like medical care. The best in the world. But that's an old rusty anchor if I let that be my hope. We have a hope that's an anchor to the soul, not the body. Your body's perishing. If you hadn't noticed, it's already on the way. <laughs> it gets more rickety every year. Hope is an anchor to the soul. Now, Gerlinda Brinkert will remember about 45 years ago when I came to church one morning as an early 20-year-old and did something on this verse, and I actually brought an anchor in. It was pretty great. I didn't have a readily available anchor, so otherwise I would have done it again this morning. But it says, we have this hope as an anchor to the soul. And in those days, it was the building across the street we had a baptismal tank with a curtain in front of it. And I opened the curtain, and I took this anchor that was on my shoulder, and I opened up the veil, and I threw it in the baptismal tank. And, and I tripped on my way there. And then I came out with a rope. Since I don't have it, you just have to imagine it. Pulling it on the way, yep, it's secure. It's in the baptismal tank. Is your hope in the baptismal tank? It's where it ought to be. Death, burial, resurrection with Christ. He got back to the pulpit and went, 
I'm secure. Your anchor needs to enter in beyond the veil. You know what that means? In the Old Testament temple, that was the Holy of Holies. That's where God lived. That was the secret place. That was the inner place. It's true in your soul right now. You have a secret place, an inner place. Your anchor needs to be hooked into that place of your spirit that cannot be moved. Your anchor will not drag. Your chain will not break. Because it goes into the Holy of Holies. Goes into heaven. Our hope is in heaven. Hallelujah. Which ties into this third thing I want to say, which is remember who you are, where you come from, where you're going. Now, some of us have an inadequate answer to where do you come from, who are you, and where are you going? Now, I'm bringing that right out of John chapter 8. After Jesus forgave the woman taken in adultery, he was uh, approached by the Pharisees. And they're basically saying, who gave, who gave you authority to do this? He said, your sins are forgiven and send her away. In other words, who is this guy? Like, we're the Pharisees. Our father's Abraham. If you read the whole chapter, they, they talk about their ancestry. I love to talk about my ancestry. You know, I recently found out that on my father's side and my mother's side, I can trace my ancestors all the way back to 1600 in Massachusetts and beyond that to 1450 in England where my mother's maiden name was given a coat of arms by none other than the Puritan minister in 1657, uh, William of Orange, who was a Puritan. And on the Clark side, I can go back to Puritans. And on the Vinyl side, yeah, that's my maiden name, Vinyl. Want to make something of it? It's a very famous name. So I could, I could talk about my pedigree. Hey, I'm descended from Puritans on both sides, back centuries. Now, that's a pretty good thing to know. I don't know about you, but it does give me a certain sense of, wow, I got spiritual genes that go way back. Cool. But these Pharisees, they go all the way back to Abraham, centuries and centuries, says Abraham is our father. And who are you, this upstart? We don't know where you come from. We don't know who you are. And we don't know where you're going. And Jesus actually used this phrase. He said, you, Pharisees, don't know where I come from or who I am and where I'm going. That was his answer to them. You don't know. I know where I came from, who I am, and where I'm going. John the Baptist said, he was greater than me because he was there before me. But John the Baptist was born six months before Jesus. Because he knew in the beginning was God. And all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Talking about Jesus Christ. He came from heaven. He came from with the Father. He knows who he was. He doesn't really care what those Pharisees think. He doesn't care what you think. He doesn't care what anybody thinks, because he knows who he is. And he knows where he's going. 
Now, can I just suggest to you this morning, you need to know that you came from heaven. This is where I was almost going to get heretical on that other sermon. I did some study on it, and I'm, I'm not going to make a case for the preexistence of souls. But I will make a case that God is the Father of spirits. You came from God. Your mother and father begat you. That's your biology. And, and God breathed into you a soul, a unique personality. But the essence of your person came from heaven. God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit. You are a spirit. So whatever happens in your life, you say, people, I know where I came from. I know who I am. I'm a child of the most high God. And I know where I'm going. If you got those things lined up, nothing is going to take you out. Right? Your hope is in here. Your life is in here. Now, uh, just throw up Calvin there, will you? <laughs> How many of you like Calvin and Hobbes? I, he's one of my favorites. He, he gets really philosophical sometimes. So Calvin comes out and says, Paul Gauguin asked, whence do we come? What are we? Where are we going? And this is a very famous quote on Paul Gauguin's almost most famous painting where he went down to Tahiti to try to find the ideal life and found it things just as squalid there as they are in the rest of the world. And he painted this painting and he titled it, Whence, What, Whither? Well, Jesus answered that question. But Calvin, I don't know what he's doing at five years old or wherever he is, comes in quoting Paul Gauguin. He asks, whence, what, whither? His answer is, well, I don't know about anyone else, but I came from my room, and I'm a kid with big plans, and I'm going outside. See you later. <laughs> and the, the other captains, you don't have to put it up, his mom just staring at her cup of coffee. And then he sticks his head in the last caption and says, who the heck is Paul Gauguin anyway? Some of us think of life just as we're coming from our room. We got big plans and we're going to the backyard. I was born in Mercer Island, came up to Canada. I got big plans. And I'm going to great places. And then life hits you. And you find out it doesn't matter where you came from on this earth. doesn't matter where you end up on this earth. doesn't matter about your big plans and ideals. I know we talk, we're in the cult today of self-realization. You have a destiny. You are wonderful. You are amazing. True that because God loves you. But if you tie that to your athletic beauty, you tie that to your beauty, you tie that to your vocation. Some people can't retire because they don't know who they are once they retire. I tell you, I had some struggles when I stopped being a pastor. 35 years is a long time. Wonder if I did something wrong. Wonder if I sinned, disappointed God. It's an interesting story. I'm not getting into it now. Just to say... What do you do when suddenly what defines you disappears? Maybe you lose your spouse. 
and you were so bonded together that you don't know what to do now that you're alone. Who am I now? I used to be a mother. I used to take care. I used to be a father. I used to provide. I used to watch TV with my husband and my wife. You know, and suddenly, whoop, they're gone. Who are you now? I hope you can answer that question. <laughs> I came from heaven. I'm returning to heaven. I'm here on a mission. What's your mission? Well, I don't know entirely, but it's to be happy and content where I am and to manifest Jesus. And it doesn't really matter whether I'm a sea captain or a pastor or a janitor or a retiree or a carpenter. It doesn't matter. You're on assignment. It is good, isn't it? That's a really good point. They're just about done here. Get back on your horse. That's the other thing I want to say to you. Get back on your horse. If you get bumped off your horse, get back on. I said it was a traumatic thing. Instead of saying, we're not doing this anymore. Nope, my assignment right now is I'm a sea captain. I get to take people out on the coast. I get to share stories with them. They share their stories with me. This is cool. I'm, I'm not done yet. So I went off and bought a, a mean donkey anchor. And I got a new chain, 250 feet of it, brand new. It's like the trouble I had in getting to Sala Salu. Have you ever read that to your kids, uh, Dr. Seuss? No? Well, he has all trouble getting to Swala Salu. And in the end, he finds out there's nothing better than where he was, even if he tries to get there. So in the end, he buys a baseball bat and says, I've decided my troubles are going to have trouble with me. Get on your horse. Get back on your life. No matter what the disappointment, what the brokenness, the last thing, learn contentment and creativity where you are and the places where life has landed you. You're in a dead-end job or you think so? Heck, Paul ended up in prison. This is a dead-end place. Did he sit around and bemoan his fate? Or did he start singing and the door started opening and people started getting saved because he said, well, God's got me here. I'm going to be content. Are you content right now? Not just content, are you creative? So the last couple of slides there. Uh, I was going to my... <laughs> that's the captain when he was 17. Pretty cool looking, eh? I mean, smoking a pipe. And that's one of my buddies. Uh, that was almost 50 years ago. Next slide. That's the boat we used to sail around on. You saw Porpoise. That's the Fred Free. And that's some of my buddies, high school buddies. Next slide. Those are my buddies now. <laughs> Look at that grizzled old troop. Okay, so I go back to my 50-year high school reunion, and I'm watching all these guys, and I remember that about eight of them, we got on these small little funky boats, and we sailed up to Princess Louisa and had a lark, and we're flirting with girls and throwing water balloons at each other and all that kind of stuff. And I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden the idea hits me. I'm sure it was God. 
creativity. I said, you guys, you remember that trip? Oh, yeah, that was pretty cool. I said, well, hey, shouldn't we have a 50-year old dog sailor reunion? And I sold the trip to him. Didn't charge him. I didn't sell, sell him with money. I just sold him with the idea. These guys all showed up, six of them. And I spent a week with them. And I said, you guys, here's, here's the assignment this week. We've been almost 50 years out of touch with each other. I want each one, one or two of you every night, to share one, what was the highest point in your life? What, are you, what was most exhilarating, you felt proud of? And what was the lowest point? When were you most broken, disappointed? And what have you learned along the way? Now, these weren't Christian guys. Actually, one I knew was a Christian, maybe two. They're just guys. Let me tell you, the place just opened up. Guys were being honest about their hurts, about their difficulties. They, they fell in love with each other again. There were tears. All in the context of going out on the water for a week together. Hey, I got a cool life right now. Uh, I'm not just a sailing captain. I'm on assignment. I need creativity. I need inspiration from God. I'm going to make the most of this. This is cool. Or I can go into the mode, gee, I don't preach much anymore, and I was okay at that, and gee. Uh, and some not-so-happy things happened at certain points. You know, you can dwell on those things. You can be overcome with sorrow. Wasted opportunities. My life's a dead end. My life's a drag. I didn't get there. I didn't accomplish what I thought I should. You know, I read this little Catholic devotional now. It's called Magnificat sometimes. And there was a little couple paragraphs from a lady. And I was just ministered to by what she... Her name escapes my mind right now. But she was the mother of a child that was shot and killed in Sandy Hook. And she, and then I find there were other submissions of hers. Here's this lady, could be just devastated. Never want to lift her head up again. Moms, can you imagine anything worse? Or dads. Something that you just never get over. And of course, you never will get over it. But, that's the point you say, God, for whatever reason, I landed here. Now what? What's my assignment now? Here's this lady encouraging millions through her writings. Be content. Be creative. Like Paul said, I've learned whatever state I am therewith to be content. So, How about if I just pray for you before we go? Let's stand together. And I'm just going to kind of pray a blanket prayer. And if something touched you this morning, a certain juncture of your life or your heart, and you know that, that was for me. It wasn't my great communication. The Holy Spirit just went, eh, need to renew my hope. Or, eh, I need to really learn contentment or I need to be creative 
Or I need to really believe that my anchor's behind the veil. Live out this life for all I'm worth. If something touched you this morning, I just want to seal it with a prayer. Just raise your hand to say, there's an area in my heart and my life that needs fortifying. Needs a touch of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, we're just the sheep of your pasture. You know our vulnerabilities. You know we don't want trouble. You know we don't like difficulty. But you also know that we're thrilled to be alive. We're thrilled to be given this opportunity to learn what we have to learn for these few years on earth. We're going to go back to heaven and celebrate it. Don't let us miss the lessons, Lord. Strengthen your people right now. Fortify that flagging hope. Give a vision beyond the veil. Let them really believe there's an afterlife. Really believe there's a heaven they came from and a heaven to return to. Really believe that they're just passing through to let go of those disappointments. Disappointment of hope. Those material things, they don't matter. That husband or wife who failed you, disappointed you, it don't matter. Jesus forgave him, you forgive him. That son or daughter who's gone astray and off in left field somewhere, instead of bemoaning it, beating yourself up, what did I do wrong? Say, God, glorify yourself in this path that my child or grandchild is on. Bring them home to you. Teach them about life. We're not here just so that everything always goes great. We're here to learn. Teach them, Lord, and bring a greater testimony out of their life. Father, in Jesus' name, touch your people this morning. Fortify them. Give them bread from heaven so they can walk away from here with new hope, new joy, new contentment, new creativity. Lord, you just love them. You gave your life for them. Bless them. Bless them. In Jesus' name. Amen.